The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. the uh, draw, the Hawkeyes are having nothing of it. Mike Daniels, they call him the beast. 6'1", <laughs> 275, a junior out of Blackwood, New Jersey. First down. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mike <laughs> <to> Daniels. <laughs> Williams, and I mean to tell you, the beast was waiting for it. Third down, a little bit more than 10. Page never felt the pressure coming right up the middle by Mike Daniels, who has had an outstanding day along that defensive line. Four tackles behind the line of scrimmage for Daniels unofficially. Residency in the Cardinals' backfield. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the new football show from Hawkeye's Mike. The Iowa Ball State game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with Wayne Larravee and former Iowa whiteout Danon Hughes. A great job calling the game. Larravee could make a chess match exciting. And Hughes did a decent job, especially talking about the Hawks. We very much appreciate it and thank them. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. Robinson to the outside, untouched, touchdown. Great job of play calling by Ken O'Keefe right there. A couple of times he's tried to run the ball in the trenches, tried to run the ball downhill in between those tackles. Utilizing the way the Ball State Cardinals are packing in inside, what do you do? You come back on a crucial third down and you run to the corner. Adam Robinson scoots in untouched. On this week's show, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and the Reporters' Roundtable segment featuring Hawk Central's Pat Hardy and Hawkeye Insider publisher Rob Howe. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Penn State's Joe Paterno. We'll review the Iowa Ball State game and take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview Iowa's homecoming game against Penn State. And during the course of the season, we hope to hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments by calling 866 866- Seven four Hawks. First and ten of the eight-yard line of Ball State. Robinson in the backfield with Stanzi as the rain continues here in Iowa City. Stanzi on the rollout, the keep play to the end zone. Wide open, got his man. Touchdown. Penalty marker down late for a late hit in the end zone. Keenan Davis. Keenan Davis has been huge in this drive. Three catches in this drive alone. Caps it off with the touchdown. Apparently the hangover from Arizona didn't last very long. After a sluggish start by Iowa's offense in the first quarter, the Hawks started hitting on all cylinders and completely dominated an overmatched Ball State team, winning 45 to nothing. It may have been cool and raining in Iowa City, but Iowa's defense brought the heat from beginning to end, handing the Cardinals their first shutout in 62 games. Mike Daniels starred on the D-line. He ended up with four tackles for loss, one QB sack, and six tackles overall. For that performance, he was named Big Ten Co-Defensive Player of the Week. Micah Hyde had his first career interception, and he also forced a fumble. On offense, several Hawks excelled. 
Ricky Stanzi was 19 of 25 passing for 288 yards and three touchdowns. Adam Robinson roared back from his Arizona performance with 22 rushes for 115 yards and two TDs, plus he caught three passes for 75 yards. Darrell Johnson Koulianis caught four passes for 87 yards and two TDs. The Hawks unveiled two new running backs. Brad Rogers rushed nine times for 66 yards, and Marcus Coker had 10 carries for 60 yards, and both of them looked pretty good doing it. Wide receiver Keen and Davis also had a bit of a breakout game, catching four passes for 50 yards and a touchdown. True freshman Mike Myers handled all place kicking and was perfect on PATs, and he hit one of two in field goal tries. The play of Iowa's special teams was significantly better after all the problems in Arizona. The only negative in the game really was penalties, as the Hawks were flagged nine times for 86 yards. In addition to Daniel's Big Ten honor, both he and Stanzi earned recognition from the College Football Performance Awards for their play on Saturday. The Hawks now turn their attention to the Big Ten Conference opener and homecoming game against Penn State and Iowa City, always a big game for both ranked schools. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Post-game notes and key stats in three home games so far this season, Iowa has outscored its opponents by a combined 167-14. to In the Ball State game, the Hawks amassed 562 yards of total offense, the fourth most by a Ferentz-coached team, and Iowa's 28 first downs was also fourth highest under Kirk. Iowa's defense allowed the Cardinals only 56 yards passing, and the Hawks had two takeaways. Ball State's rotating quarterbacks completed only eight passes. This game was Iowa's first shutout since the final game of 2009. Ball State failed to reach the red zone in the entire game and didn't even cross midfield until the third quarter. Arizona is the only opponent so far to score in the first period, and the Hawks have held two of their four teams they faced scoreless in the first half. After the Arizona game, we talked talked about the fact that game stats can often be misleading, but this week, the stats do tell the story. First downs, Iowa had 28 to Ball State's 8. Net yards rushing, 256 for Iowa to 56 for the Cardinals. Net yards passing, 306 for Iowa, 56 Ball State. Total offense, 562 for Iowa to Ball State's 112. Possession time, 3406 for the Hawks to 2554 for Ball State. And Iowa really dominated in the first quarter once again, holding the ball for 11 minutes and 34 seconds in that period. Third down conversions, the Hawks were 8 of 12, Ball State only 3 of 13. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy! <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard! 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on, up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet! Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Visit prefins.com.
Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz was asked about the play of senior quarterback Ricky Stanzi so far this season. I think he's uh, enjoying the luxury of being an experienced player. You know, he's always been very committed. He's always worked extremely hard, and uh, you know, he's off to a real good start. I don't know why he's used that high statistically, but he's been playing well and doing a lot of good things out there and uh, leading the team very well. So, you know, he's 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 off to a good start, and it's kind of like our whole team right now. The next eight weeks will really define us, but you know, he's off to a good Good start, and I think that that's one of the benefits of being an experienced player and a senior, fifth-year senior. And if you can take advantage of that, that's a good thing. Kirk talks about his approach to the Penn State game and the recent success his Hawks have had in the series. Yeah, the bottom line is, again, historically against this team, if, if you're going to have a chance to be there in the fourth quarter, you better play your best football. And we, we've done that. You know, the games we've won, we've done that. Uh, when we when we didn't do it, you know, the game was over pretty early in 07. And uh, you know, if you open the door at all for them, you know, just it really, uh, you know. It makes it tough to, to win. So, you know, the common denominator is you got to play your best football. We've been fortunate. We've done that in some instances, and we've hung in there and, and played well in that fourth quarter or second half. And, and uh, you know, we're going to have to do something typically to spark spark things. You know, last year it took a, a great special teams effort, actually a couple of them to, to, to really, you know, get the thing going a little bit the other way. But it wasn't like we scored a lot of points offensively against them, that's for sure. Barrents was asked about beginning Big Ten conference play. I think there's the anticipation and excitement for everybody. Yeah, not that we didn't, the first first four games every every game's a little different challenge but yeah now this is that's one thing about being in a conference that was new to me when I got here and I guess you know I played in a conference when I was in college but uh, when I was at Pitt in 1980 we were not a member of and uh, you know it's different it was a different feel we played a very you know random schedule geographically uh, you know things didn't all connect that way and coming out here is a very different feel uh, back in 81 and I think that's that's one of the neat things about being in a conference and uh, certainly the Big Ten has great traditions great away stadiums great you know competition excellent coaches and players so it's, it's it makes it you know it's fun and, and we all you know when you're in a conference you kind of know each other's uh, moves moves and personalities a little bit you know so it's a little different feel that's, that's for sure and Ferentz was asked about his big play wide receiver Darrell Johnson Koulianos when he's been on the field he's been working hard and uh, you know he's, he's playing like he's a fifth year senior too he's, he's playing better more efficiently it's, it's all good the only complaint I got with him right now is uh, he is a fifth year senior he's playing on graduating in December. I'm not complaining about that. But he's got a class that requires him to leave right around uh, the middle of practice on every every Wednesday. Frustrating, but that's that's why it's college football. We have a couple guys that leave Wednesday around mid-practice. Bottom line is he's, he's uh, been able to play four years, basically. And that, that's a part of it, and that's that's not something you just take for granted, uh, the fact that he's been able to stay healthy. Uh, he has been productive, and he, he's come up with a lot of big plays for us. You know, a lot of deep balls where he's done some made some good plays. So, you know, when you connect on deep balls, that helps the yardage part of it. But he's 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 done a lot of good things for us, and you know, he's been a real good player. And he, he's really a you know pleasant guy. I mean, it's not like we're I told you before, it's not like we're cats and dogs at all. Just kind of you know, I'm, I'm the killjoy, and you know, he's the he's the fun guy. So old guy, young guy, one of those deals. Longtime Penn State head coach Joe Paterno talks about the Iowa football program under Kirk Ferentz. Iowa's been a good, solid football team that's played extremely well against us, and I think Kirk's done a great job. They're recruiting well. Uh, he's been able to keep his coaching staff together. That defensive coordinator, Norm Powers, is a great does a great job for him. Been with him a long time. I think, and I think when he plays Penn State, maybe there's a little bit of something there because he is a Pennsylvania kid. 
and his father-in-law and I were high school teammates together. Uh, it's Jerry Hart. So, uh, but they he they just do a good job. They recruit well. They, uh, the kids play hard. They're disciplined. You, you know, you gotta beat them. They don't beat themselves. You know, last year we thought we had them licked, and we made one or two mistakes, and they took advantage of it. They blocked the punt in midfield, scored, and then they came back and intercepted the pass, took it to the 24-yard line, and they end up beating the year before. Before that, out there, they scored on a field goal, last play of the ball game. They did a great job on that last drive. So, I mean, it's uh, they're a good football team, well coached, and that's what it's all about, I suppose. Paterno was asked about Iowa quarterback Ricky Stanzi. Well, as I said, it, you know, two years ago, he took him down the field in the clutch. I think he's turned out to be one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Very accurate with the football. Doesn't scramble a lot, but when he scrambles, he's very effective. He, he doesn't give up a lot of yardage, I, I, and he's a good leader. He's obviously the kid's leader, and he's got guts. He takes a lot of chances. I like the kid. I think he's a heck of a player. Paterno was asked about his team's performance in the red zone. There again, you know, I, 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 I'm reluctant to be critical uh, of our team when the other guys are playing as well and doing as well as they have. Uh, Temple was a good red zone football team against the, the three teams that, that we had seen them against this year. They were a good takeaway team. They, and they were careful with the football. Uh, when we got down in the red zone, we may have made, you know, we made a, uh, maybe one or two mistakes that uh, would have helped us. But, uh, I, I, yeah, I, we, obviously you can always do a little better. And I think maybe the point you're trying to make is a good, is, is an adequate one or a legitimate one. And that we can do better. Maybe the play selection has to do better, throw a little bit earlier and some downs and things of that sort. But overall, uh, I don't want to go berserk. I think we've got to be solid when we get down there. And Joe Paterno was asked if the Big Ten Conference is the toughest it's been in several years. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any question. I thought uh, before we started this the uh, season that uh, Iowa State and Iowa would probably be the toughest teams to beat for everybody in the league. I think they're both well coached. they both got fine personnel. Uh, and, you know, they've got a, a sense of, uh, of how good they are. I mean, they're playing with an awful lot of poise, both teams. And they don't like themselves. Even that, when you got to beat them, and I thought that both they and Ohio State would be two of the best teams in the league. But, but now, you know, Wisconsin, we, we don't play Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a fine football team. Michigan State is doing well. I think it's a, it's a con whole conference has moved up, and, and that's where we are. Right this week, we got Iowa. Iowa's right now, and that's going to be a tough ball game for us. I can't be worried about anything down the road. But I do, to answer your question, yeah, I think when I was before the season started, I thought that Iowa would be one of the better teams in the country. Stanzi, plenty of time, going deep for Johnson Coleranos. Touchdown! What a throw! <laughs> what a catch! You see, 
Ricky stands, he looked to the sideline and said, I had to take the shot right there. The Iowa Hawkeyes throw it deep as often as anybody in the country. And they throw it better downfield than most anybody in the country. And they lead here 35-0. We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Well, the Hawks took care of business against Ball State. Not many lingering effects from the Arizona loss. Were they more or less impressive than you expected in that game? I, I think more impressive. I mean, I just, you know, it was workmanlike effort. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't think they'd win by that much. To be honest with you, I thought it would be more of a sluggish game. And But, uh, you know, Iowa did enough to obviously get up on them and, and control the, all the issues, basically, and uh, do enough to win. What two or three things coming out of the Ball State game do you think are the most important, and what questions has Iowa answered through its non-conference schedule? You know, they, they've answered the question that they are a top caliber team. You know, they're a t top 15, 20 team that still has the potential to be a top five or six team, in my opinion. So, um, you know, that being the case, we got to prove that we can uh, compete, you know, against the top tier teams, and obviously Penn State's going to provide us another great challenge this Friday. Uh, but uh, for the most part, you know, I think it's just a you know workmanlike effort, and they need to just continue to uh, you know try to strive to keep improving each and every day. What do we know about Iowa's offense at this point, and can you grade them? In my opinion, it could be more explosive. I mean, I don't think DJK and and Marvin McNutt has been the biggest factors. I'd like to see. We haven't had to had to for the most part, you know, other than Arizona games. So as you get into these Big Ten games, you start needing need third down conversions. You start needing some big plays. Hopefully, guys like that can really emerge and and continue to show some of the, the um, you know, the form that they had in, you know, last year and then at certain times during this year. So, you know, just continual big plays out of those guys. And, and uh, you know, obviously our running game is, is pretty solid with Robinson, but we got to continue to develop depth there at the running back position. And, um, you know, I think our tight ends have been factors at, at certain times. And it's just a matter of getting everybody on the same page and, and, and you know, everybody playing extremely well at the right time. Uh, and same question with respect to the defense. Uh, defense, you know, I feel, I feel comfortable. I think statistically they're about as good as it gets. I thought I saw something where they might be the number one statistical ranked defense out there. So, you know, that being the case, I just think they could kind of continue to create pressure with the front four and and uh, control the line of scrimmage, stop the run. And, and uh, you know, going into this week, it's going to be very, very critical with a freshman quarterback. What are you seeing on a Ricky Sanzi at this point? And if he continues to play this well and avoid injury, any sense of how the NFL will begin to evaluate him? I think he's... Uh, I think he can make all the throws. I mean, I think, you know, he's not, we don't, we don't have a style that's conducive to an NFL game, but I think he's conducive to the NFL game. He's a big, tall, strong-armed guy, you know, good pocket presence, um, you know, can move, move out of the pocket when he needs to and throw on the run. And, and so, you know, I've just seen him make enough throws. Um, and I think he's got a strong enough arm where I think he's a, he's a great pro prospect. Moving on to Adrian Claiborne, the stats aren't as good as many as expected, but opposing offenses are really focusing on him. With the emergence of players like Mike Daniels and the, the play of other off defensive linemen, do you think Claiborne will start putting up the numbers we all expected? I think, yeah. I, mean, I, I think in that's, you know, the emergency of those other guys is obviously a direct result of Claiborne and the, the focus that the offense they're putting on him. If, 
you know, if you're keeping a tight end in the chip or a back end in the chip, then that's freeing up somebody else. Or you're sliding the line to Claiborne, then that's freeing up somebody else to be one on one. So, you know, it's a team game, and, and obviously, you know, if you are playing Iowa, you do have to account for Adrian Claiborne. He's that good that you cannot go into a game plan and say, well, we're going to leave one guy on him all game long because unless you got a stud at that tackle position, you got problems. What did you see in the two new running backs, Brad Rogers and Marcus Coker? You know, just. You know, it's hard to tell against Ball State. I mean, they probably get realistically a better look in practice uh, as far as what they can do. But you know, when the, when the lights are on and people are out there, it's another great experience for them to get their you know their feet wet and to to have the anxiety of playing in front of seventy thousand people. So that's always a good thing. And there's some talent there. I mean, they're, you know, they're they're good football players. Obviously, they wouldn't be on the Iowa roster if they weren't. So it's just a matter of the maturation. Hopefully, they can speed up the learning curve and and. Um, you know, if their number is called, they, you know, they'll be ready to do it from a running standpoint as well as a passing standpoint and a pass protection standpoint. While the tight ends have caught some passes, does it seem like they haven't been as involved in the offense so far? Well, one game I thought they were huge. Uh, I'm trying to think of which game it was. It might have been Iowa State. I thought they had a huge role in that game and, and did a great job. And, and, you know, we just haven't needed them. You know, we haven't needed, you know, a lot of third and seven, third and six conversions. You know, we've been in third and manageable, third and short. So. You know, that's when the tight end really starts to show up is, is on third down when you need to start moving the chains and convert first downs. And, and I, I think we'll continue to see them be a part of the game plan and, and uh, help the offense. Have we seen enough of Iowa's offensive line yet to really predict how they'll fare in Big Ten play? No, it's still, it's still a work in progress. Um, you know, I, I, I still think that with the exception of, of a few defensive lines, we're going to be okay. We'll hold up physically. You know, I, I think Arizona brought some unique challenges from an athletic standpoint and a size standpoint. Penn State's, you know, I don't think they have the same type of guys up front that, that Arizona has. So I, mean, I think we'll be fine up front. Uh, you know, we got to watch their linebackers. They got very active linebackers, and we got to control those guys. But, but wholeheartedly, I think, uh, you know, it's still a work in process. They still got to, you know, solidify their protections and, and uh, you know, always make sure that, you know, we got guys moving north and south when we're running the football. Uh, with Norm Parker out, do you think there's any added pressure on the other defensive coaches? And at any point, do you think that'll take a toll? You know, I think it's it's an extra set of eyes. And, and he's got, what, 40-some years of experience coaching football. And, and, you know, and I'm sure he's part of the game plan to some extent but with watching films. But, uh, I mean, it's difficult. And, uh, you know, you can't lose that kind of experience, <clears throat> you know, in, in the halftime adjustments that he brings to the table. Obviously, the other coaches are talented, but... You know, a lot of times you got four or five guys sitting there discussing what, what needs to be done. And, and uh, you know, now it's three or four guys discussing what needs to be done and, and, and trying to come up with solutions. And, and that one extra thought may be the thought that, you know, shuts down a particular scheme that the offense is trying to run against you. So, you know, I, I think it eventually could, but I think it's still about blocking and tackling and execution. And, and we are what we are. We do what we do. And, uh, you know, that being the case, we got pretty good guys over there. Well, you've played in and watched the Big Ten for a long time. Is this as strong a conference as you've seen in several years? You know, I'm, I'm not convinced that we're there yet. I mean, I think with the exception of Iowa, Wisconsin, and Ohio State, you know, I think Penn State, uh, Michigan, Michigan State are, you know, a second-tier type of, of uh, group in that mix of six. But, um, you know, that being the case, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we got talent football. It's broad-based. For the most part, Purdue and Northwestern and all those other schools can cause you a problem if you don't take care of business. But I think it's a three-team race. 
Um, and these other teams just aren't there yet. All right, moving on to Penn State. What's your sense of the Penn State team this year? And at this point, are they really still an elite Big Ten team? Well, kind of like we just talked about them. I, mean, I think they're, they've got talent. Obviously, they've got some skilled players. Uh, but, you know, they got a freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback, and that's just tough in the to, to face our defense. Uh, you know, if we can continue to create pressure uh, with, with our front four, change up our looks, force them to throw the football, it's going to be a long day for Penn, Penn State. I mean, and, and I just think that, uh, you know, if we can control the big plays, clean up our special teams, not allow the things that happen against Arizona, I think it's, it's Iowa's game to, to win. And, uh, you know, if they just take care of business, it should be a pretty dominant performance. Do you see any similarities yet between the Penn State program under Joe Paterno and the Hawkeyes in the last two or three years under Hayden Fry? Uh, no. I mean, Penn State's still able to get an incredible amount of talent. They just don't have the physical nature that Iowa has. And, and, and until their offensive line uh, and defensive line learn that playing in the Big Ten is about lining up each and every Saturday and just imposing your will on somebody, then they're going to struggle a little bit at times unless they just have superior talent in the athletic skill positions. Um, you know, I mean, it's, if you watch Stanford play football, I mean, they, you know, they're just big and physical and they just, you know, they get after you every single snap. And that's what Big Ten football is about. And the teams that have those types of players and those types of skill sets are going to be the most successful. Uh, final score prediction? I, I think we win by 20. But I think it's a game where, you know, Iowa controls. I think the freshman quarterback is going to struggle. As long as we make it difficult on him, as long as we don't let him check the ball down, make simple throws, we make him have to make tough throws all the time. I think we got a great chance to, to get up on them and, and, and get on them early and, and stay on them. Any other thoughts? Game night, Friday night or Saturday night at Kinnick Stadium, it's going to be great, you know, under the lights. And, uh, you know, as a football player, that's what you, th you thrive for and you live for those types of events. And obviously, this Penn State is a storied tradition program, and uh, it'll be a great atmosphere. Are you sitting in a black or a gold section? That's a good question. I don't know. i got to figure it out. So. You think that's going to work? Uh, I think somewhat. I think somewhat it will, but um, yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it could make for a cool setting, so we'll see. All right, thanks. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just a big, hairy American winning machine. If you ain't first, you're last. In our Big Ten Notebook this week, the 115th Big Ten football season kicks off this Saturday as 10 of 11 teams open play. On the final Saturday of non-conference play last weekend, Big Ten offenses amassed a lot of points against probably the worst slate of teams in history in one single day. The final totals were Big Ten 393, opponents 154, and 90 of those opponents' 154 points were scored by just three teams. Seven Big Ten teams scored 30 points or more including the Hawks, and three teams lit up the scoreboard with 60 or more points. For the second consecutive week, the Big Ten and SEC are tied for the lead among all conferences, with six top 25 ranked teams each in both the AP and coaches polls. 
Ohio State still sits at number two, while Wisconsin, Iowa, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State are all ranked. Which means, among other things, that Iowa's first four league games this year are all against opponents currently ranked in the top 25. In case you're wondering, Kirk Ferentz has an all-time record of 15-23 and 23 against ranked teams and 8-7 and seven at Kinnick Stadium. The Big Ten is also one of only two FBS conferences to feature six undefeated teams and is the only conference to have five schools at 4-0. Four, four of the Big Ten's undefeated teams square off this Saturday as Wisconsin travels to Michigan State, where head coach Mark D'Antonio will return to limited duties after his heart attack two weeks ago, and Michigan plays at Indiana. Ohio State travels to Illinois, where Ron Zook is trying to get several suspended players back on the field, and Northwestern plays at hapless Minnesota. This weekend also marks the first of the Big Ten's 15 traditional trophy games, as Illinois and Ohio State battle for the Illibuck in Champaign. Over the last decade, seven Big Ten teams have won or shared the conference title, with Ohio State leading the way and picked again to win this year. Incidentally, Penn State coach Joe Paterno became just the fifth coach to reach 150 wins while coaching at a Big Ten school with last week's hard-fought victory over Temple. And in early Heisman talk, the Big Ten features four players getting some buzz. Michigan quarterback Denard Robinson, Ohio State QB Terrell Pryor, Wisconsin running back John Clay, and Northwestern quarterback Dan Persa, who is very quietly eclipsing Tim Tebow's national best 2009 passer rating. <laughs> Lots of time. Good decisive throw to Sandeman. Is he in? Yes. Touchdown, Iowa Hawkeyes. Vandenberg without bullet. Nice job right there. You talked about him coming in last year for four games. Did a very nice job. Good job by Sandeman. Not going down easily. Crossing the plane for the touchdown. Time now for our Reporter's Notebook with Pat Hardy and Rob Howe. You can read Pat's articles and columns in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. You can check out Rob's features at HawkeyeInsider.com. Sean Patchett talks with Pat and Rob, who joins us by phone, about last week's game and this Saturday's contest. It seemed like the offense had a slight hangover for about one quarter, the defense none at all, but it was Ball State. What do we know coming out of that game? Yeah, they did kind of start a little flat, and that's maybe to be expected coming off the circumstances with the Arizona State game. And nothing against Ball State, but Ball State's not the kind of opponent that's going to really get your attention, even though the coaches pounded it in their head all week that this is another game on the schedule. I think they just needed a couple series to get going, and once they got going, you could see the huge difference in talent and just everything. It was just a complete mismatch. We know that they can, I guess, recover eventually from uh, a tough loss at Arizona, but I don't think... You put a whole lot of stock into maybe numbers and and uh, the final score against Ball State. I don't think that was a very good team. I think it's probably compar- comparable to Eastern Illinois. But, you know, in the end, they, they won the game. They bounced back. Uh, after a slow start on offense, I thought they looked pretty good the rest of the way. Uh, you know, and you got to play that game. It's on the schedule, Ball State, and they could have looked a lot worse and you know, I think they took a step forward heading into conference play. The defense is now ranked number one in the nation, even without Norm Parker. It was relentless from to be- beginning to end against Ball State, uh, and Mike Daniels really emerged as a non-starting star. Yeah, Mike Daniels has been the story of the season so far. Just his tenacity and his strength and his leverage up front, he gives them a fifth dimension, so to speak. Um, they've got five guys now that they basically just rotate, and there's, there's even times where Claiborne comes out. So. 
I, I think it's the defense has been performing well, but I also think the defense can do better. I think um, part of it, it, you don't want to hold one drive against the defense, but it's unfortunate that the defense wasn't able to come up with a big stop in that Arizona game when they needed to. But for the most part, the defense has been pretty much what we expected. And I think Claiborne's still kind of waiting to bust out a little bit. But with him being double teamed and what have you, that's really paved the way for Daniels to emerge. Yeah, um, you know, I think through a lot of the, the Kirk Ferentz error, people, uh, fans, media have asked why they don't rotate players on the defensive line more. I just don't felt, feel like they felt comfortable in the past uh, in doing so. But I think Mike Daniels has forced their hand uh, last week. They uh, Everybody but Adrian Claiborne was involved in that rotation. You have the versatility of Christian Ballard to be able to move inside and out. Uh, they moved Adrian Claiborne inside last week on a few plays and Carl Klug out. A lot of versatility there. I think they're, you know, with Daniels being in the mix, it keeps them fresh and it makes a already potent defensive line, one of the best in the country, that much better. And with a young, uh, inexperienced uh, Penn State offensive line coming into town this week, I think their two starting tackles have a combined four starts in their career. That is just not a good matchup for the Nittany Lions. With the posting offenses geared towards slowing down Claiborne and the emergence of Daniels, you know, solid play of the other D linemen, at what point will offenses have to adjust with the result that Claiborne maybe gets freed up a little bit and starts putting up the numbers everyone expects? I think they'll continue to focus on Adrian. I mean, you'd be crazy not to uh, with the ability for him to change the game. I mean, he... We saw it at Penn State last year with the pump block, but he also just changes the energy. If he gets into your backfield and starts causing havoc, creating havoc, that just, it kind of can change the flow and the momentum of the game. So I think we'll continue to focus on him, but that should be that much more uh, opportunities there for the other guys. Um, a lot, you know, and probably several of those guys will be NFL players someday. So. They'll continue to do that with Claiborne, but I think as these other guys emerge, they're going to have to play a little bit more honestly, uh, or they're going to have Mike Daniels in their backfield most of the afternoon. Oh, I would think that would start in Big Ten play. If Mike Daniels comes out and gets four tackles for loss and another sack and what have you, you're going to start seeing some adjustments. But I still think Claiborne's going to face double teams on passing situations for most of the season just because of what he did last year and what have you, and that teams just aren't going to forget that. But if Daniels can keep doing this, then defenses will have to adjust, and then, then Iowa... We'll adjust from that point, but I still think it's not going to be easy for Claiborne this year. Turning to the offense, Ricky Stanzi's pretty high up there in the national stratosphere uh, in terms of stats and performance. Yeah, he's been very consistent. That's the key thing. I know he's had one pick six, but it was not his fault. The ball got deflected. It should have been caught by the Iowa receiver, but for the most part, Ricky, when you give him time to throw and they've got the running game going, he's great at play action and he's got a really good touch for a quarterback. Yeah, it's quite a, a change from last year and you know, he talked a lot about that in the offseason, about watching film and calming down and, and making himself a better player, being a, you know, a fifth-year senior and being a guy that, that doesn't uh, make errors to cost his team uh, points, uh, you know, field positions, things like that. He talked about that a little bit on Tuesday, that he's had to learn that it's okay to punt. Uh, you know, if the play's not there on third and long, uh, instead of forcing the ball in somewhere where you're taking a, a risk that that's not worth it, you know, throw the ball away, let him punt, play the field, field position game, and you'll get another opportunity. I just think he's matured a lot since last year, playing his best football right now, and as Kirk says, that's what you expect out of fifth-year seniors. The O-line gave Sanzi pr terrific protection last Saturday, almost a complete turnaround from the week before. 
But what do we really know about the O-line at this point? Not a lot. I think I don't think it was as bad. I don't think the O-line's as bad as it was against Arizona, and I don't think it's as good as it was against Iowa State and the other. I mean, the, they've played one really good opponent and kind of failed that test. They've played three pretty average. Iowa State's probably the best of the three. Two pretty bad opponents in the big scheme of things, and the line was fine. Right now we've learned that the line can play well against bad opponents, but right now we don't know what it's going to do against quality opponents. You know, I think in their, their one big test, they, they really had a tough time at Arizona, and they're going to be tested with some pretty good defenses here in the next four weeks. Penn State's maybe not the defense they've been the past several years. They got, they've had to replace quite a few players, especially at the linebacker position with Navarro Bowman and Sean Lee, uh, but they still uh, are pretty salty. Uh, I think they only gave Iowa's offense 12 points last week. They're going to be challenged this week. This will be a big step up, um, and I think we'll learn more this week. I don't think we've really gotten a full taste of what this offensive line for Iowa is about, but we're going to find out in the next four weeks. Uh, what's the over-under on when DJK, barring injury, becomes Iowa's all-time leading receiver? You know, I've lost track of where he is. I know it's close. I think you're going to start seeing him more and more in Big Ten games. And I think you're going to start seeing him more and more in games where... The other team's got good speed. Like I said, he's the one guy that can create space better than anyone on the team. And wouldn't surprise me if he starts catching four or five passes a game now. And Ricky's very comfortable with him. And so it's some, I, I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but it's going to be sooner probably than later. Well, he's got the two records he's going after. I think he needs 13 more receptions uh, to, to catch Kevin Casper. And I think the yardage is in the 130 range to catch Tim, Tim Dwight. So I think... He'll probably get the Dwight record, I would think. Uh, he's got a shot at it this week, but Penn State's defense is pretty good, so I would probably uh, go more with the Michigan week. And then probably at Indiana, he breaks Kevin Casper's reception record for uh, most catches in a career. And uh, those are pretty heady numbers. I mean, you know, a lot of, uh, he, gets, he gets mentioned and talked about a lot for his off-the-field uh uh, flamboyance, but he's been a heck of a receiver for Iowa, and uh, he's going to go down as, as one of the all-time greats at the end of the day. When he does break that record, do you think Ferentz will actually let him visit with the media Possibly, Possibly once or twice, but if you remember correct, Darrell had a lot of media exposure going into the season. I know I one paper did a three-part series on him, and there was a big, huge gush fest, love fest. So I think maybe he got his fix there. And I think I just get the impression from Kirk that he thinks things operate better when maybe Darrell doesn't have access to the media on a constant basis because I think he maybe thinks Darrell enjoys it too much maybe. and But I think we'll get him again at some point this year. You know, he talked about, Kirk talked about that last week and said it's a possibility he might. But then Darrell put on his Facebook that he's pretty much decided, along with Kirk, to shut it down for the season. So as far as he says, as far as we know, according to Darrell's Facebook, he's not going to talk till January. But we'll see how that happens. He loves to talk. So after, after he gets one or two of those records, we'll see if he breaks that silence. A kind of a breakout performance for Keenan Davis last Saturday. Iowa's receiving core continues to seem pretty strong and deep, more this season than it has been in recent history. Yeah, I think it's the best receiving core in the Ferentz era, and I don't think it's really that close in terms of depth. Uh, Paul Cheney got in there and actually was running at the, as the number three receiver against Ball State. He's coming back from the ACL injury, and he's really, I think, kind of gotten to this point now four games where he's recovered from that injury uh, and got his confidence back. And he gives them an added dimension. He's a kid that can, can stretch the field. They use him on, on end arounds. Uh, Sandeman's had a pretty good year. Uh, as you said, Keenan Davis came on a little bit. 
this past week and, and stepped in for Marvin McNutt when he got dinged up a little bit. And Kirk talked about Keenan on his radio show Wednesday night, basically said, you know, Keenan's got to show more consistency. He's got to play at a faster pace. And it's typical for young players. You know, he's only been on campus now for a little bit over a year. Uh, he was so highly regarded coming out of high school. I think people just thought he'd step on the field and, and you know, be a, you know, an all Big Ten type receiver. But it takes time. And I think last week was a big step forward for him. Uh, and he's got the opportunity to kind of work in at his own pace with, as you said, all the talent that's ahead of him with, you know, with DJK, McNutt, Sandham, and Chaney, all of those guys are, you know, juniors or seniors, and he's got a chance to, to maybe make a stride here the rest of this season and then be able to take charge and be a go-to guy next year. Yeah, Keenan Davis's emergence is big. Now he just needs to do it on a pretty consistent basis. I mean, one time is nice, but I think when you factor in the opponent and what have you, you can't get too carried away with it. I think fans have been waiting for Keenan to kind of merge the way Marvin McNutt did. So if this was, hopefully this is the start of it, because boy, if they have three big-time receivers, that just will make them that much tougher to defend. Adam Robinson completely turned things around against Ball State as well, and we saw the debut of both Brad Rogers and Marcus Coker. Yeah, and I was impressed with all of them, but it was kind of hard to get a real gauge because the holes those guys were running through were just, I mean, you and I could have ran through their holding hands, they were so big, and I was impressed with Rogers at contact. He lots of times dished the contact out instead of taking it. They're both got good size, so Rodgers did fumble the ball once, so you got to be a little concerned about that, but I think they do have enough to at least spill Robinson, but you're still going to see Adam Robinson carrying the ball between 20 and 30 times a game, I think, for the rest of the season, assuming he stays healthy. Yeah, I, you know, I, I heard some reference to 2004 uh, when Hampton went down and Pocky got hurt against Arizona, then Wegger was out uh, with personal reasons and what have you, and the running back core took, took quite a different uh, face than what we thought it would be at the beginning of the year with, uh, with Robinson and Hampton and Wegger, but I think it's still in pretty good shape. Robinson showed last week that he can be a feature back. Uh, Kirk has talked about him being uh, kind of being looked to as a Sean Green, Fred Russell type uh, carrying the load, and I think he has the ability to do that. He's a good blocker. He runs hard. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he possesses all the traits that you need to do that. And then the young guys, again, they came in the fourth quarter against a pretty banged up, at that point, Ball State team. But it was a step forward. Probably did a lot for their confidence. And, you know, in a reserve, uh, small reserve role behind Robinson, provided he stays healthy, I think they're in good shape. Uh, Big Ten play finally starts this week. Six teams ranked in the top 25, and though Kirk won't really talk about it, what's your sense of the conference overall at this point in the season? Having six teams ranked is obviously something you can point to, but I agree with Kirk at this stage of the season, rankings mean nothing. I don't think you can really start seeing rankings come out until about another week or two once teams have a chance to play in conference play. And if you look at a team, Northwestern really hasn't played anyone. Iowa's played one good opponent and lost and played, to me, three not very good opponents. So, I mean, it's it's better than not having six teams ranked, but I just think it's too early to really say, wow, that's a statement by the conference. I think it's a good league. I mean, I know people will point to Iowa losing at Arizona and uh, Penn State getting handled at Alabama, but those were really two really tough road games. Ohio State uh, won pretty convincingly against Miami at home. Um, Michigan, Michigan State have beat Notre Dame. I mean, they've had some good, some good quality wins at a conference as well. Uh, I think it's a pretty solid league. I think, you know, it's it's it looks a lot like it's looked in the past five years or so. It's Ohio State right now, and then a group of of teams fighting behind them to challenge them for the big 
10 title and also maybe move into that 2-3. And it's hard to say right now who those teams are behind Ohio State. I think you have a group with Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Northwestern's looked pretty good. Uh, Michigan, I mean, there are a lot of schools right there. It's going to be interesting to see how this season plays out in the conference. Ohio State clearly still number one. I'm going to still stick with Iowa, number two, just because they get Wisconsin at home. Right now, I would probably go Michigan State number three. And then as my number four, hard to say. It comes down between Northwestern, Michigan, and um, Penn State. I'm just not sold on Penn State yet. I'm beginning to think that maybe Northwestern and Michigan might be better than Penn State. And with Michigan, it all hedges on keeping Denard Robinson healthy. You think Wisconsin's going to drop out of that top five, top six? I've got Ohio State, then Iowa, then Wisconsin, then my fourth my fourth team is between those other three. I'm not sure on those. And the only reason I give Iowa the edge over Wisconsin to get to play them here. All right, well, we all know Tim Brewster's there, but what are the other Big Ten coaches on the hot seat as conference play begins? Um, yeah, the Bruce, Brewster's definitely the obvious one. And I think Ron Zook's got to be somewhat concerned about uh, his future in Champaign. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that, you know, even though they, they got to the Rose Bowl several years ago, they just haven't been able to, to win consistently under him, and they've done a lot. They've had a lot of renovations down there. They put a lot of money into that football program. There's a lot of talent in that state, and he hasn't been able to get it going consistently. And I think he's obviously some on hot seat right now. And uh, and I think probably uh, Lynch in Indiana, but again, he's fighting an uphill battle down there just with facilities and. You know the state of that program. I think he's done a pretty good job, and I think they could be a dark horse. I think they could throw some, throw a monkey wrench in this Big Ten title race, and if they can do that, maybe he can save himself for another year. Well, I think Ron Zook is to a certain amount. Rich Rodriguez obviously is. They went four and zero last year, but if they end up going two and six in the even three and five, is probably not going to do him any favors. Even though it would probably get him into some lower edge bowl game. I think those two would probably be the other ones. I mean, Bill Lynch in Indiana, they're four. They're 3-0 right now, and I, I I think he's got a little bit more time because it's not like he's trying to rebuild Michigan like Rodriguez is. So Rodriguez is trying to rebuild the program that he basically tore down in two years. So I would say Rodriguez and Zook would be the two. And Brewster, to me, he's dead man walking. Penn State this weekend, true freshman quarterback for the first time under Paterno. A running game featuring veteran Evan Royster that finally looks like it's clicking, yet they struggled at home against Temple last Saturday. Yeah, and Temple's a pretty good team. I mean, that's not the that's not the Temple of, uh, you know, a decade ago. They've been, you know, Golden's done a good job there. Uh, he's probably a guy that's going to be considered for, for some higher uh, level jobs here, you know, after the season and beyond. Um, and, and I wasn't surprised that Temple went in there from the game. I just don't really think that this Penn State offense is anywhere near as good as they've had uh, with Daryl Clark and, and some of the receivers they've had in, you know, in the past five years. This is a really young Penn State offense outside of Royster. As we talked about earlier, the offensive line is young. Four starts from, uh, combined from the tackles. It's just not, to me, it's just not a good matchup against this Iowa defense, which is ranked first in the country, uh, and it starts up front on, on the defensive line. I just, to me, I, I don't know if Penn State can score enough points in, in this game to beat Iowa. Yeah, this is an average Penn State team in the big scheme of things, and just compared to other Penn State teams, maybe a little above average. I see it 5-3, and 4-4 four and four in the Big Ten. Defense isn't really athletic. Bolden's a, I'd be shocked if a true freshman quarterback could come in here and win this game against Iowa's defense. That's why I've got I've left little doubt in my mind that I think Iowa's going to win this game, which is kind of scary because I'm usually kind of 
kind of negative and what have you, but I just can't see a true freshman. Like I said, they're just pretty average in a lot. Have a very good running back, have a few good players scattered around, but this is not your typical Penn State roster. How do you explain Iowa's success the last few years against Penn State? Well, sometimes I think that recently they've just had better teams, and then I think they've also just gotten lucky and played well on those given days. Sometimes that's all it takes. You only play a team once. It's not like they're playing Penn State 10 times every year. They're playing them once. And back in 07, Penn State was clearly the better team and won the game convincingly. I think they've been pretty even in years past. In 08, Penn State was a very good team, but they were on the road, and that was an Iowa team that, as we didn't know it at the time, but that was the part of a huge surge that they made at the end of the year. I just think it's been maybe a little bit of luck, and they've played well, and they've been as good or better than Penn State. Yeah, I think it's, it has a lot to do with styles. Um, you know, when you go down to Arizona, it's, it's a... It's a you know, battle of opposing schemes, different schemes. You got a spread offense against more of a base power defense, and there are, you know, there are mismatches. Whereas when Penn State plays Iowa, Iowa plays Wisconsin, you know, those those types of Michigan State, uh, a lot of those schools are traditional type offenses and defenses, and it's really just line it up and whoever can execute the best and best and make the fewest mistakes usually wins. Uh, and I was had an ability to find ways to win against Penn state. Um, last year it was the special teams, um, and you know, finding big plays to, to make there. But I think, you know, when you, when you look at games like this, it's about, it's, it's a matter of who is going to impose their will. And Iowa's been able to do that. With Iowa finally getting a Big Ten opener at home, what are your three or four most important questions do you think that will be answered Saturday night? I think um, we'll find out, as we talked about earlier, about the offensive line. Uh, I think this is a really good test for them. Penn State, uh, as I said, was, is replacing quite a few guys on the front seven, but it's still a really good Penn State defense. Uh, so we'll get a chance to, to see there. We'll get a chance to see how Adam Robinson holds up in Big Ten play as a feature running back. It's a little bit different running against Ball State than it is against the Penn States and uh, and uh, Ohio States of the world. And he's going to take a pounding, and we'll see how he holds up. Because last year he was dinged up quite a bit when he, uh, when he got hit throughout the season. Um, I think... Uh, defensively, this will be a, a good test for the for the Iowa linebackers. Penn State a lot of pressure on the linebackers uh, with tight end play. You know, Royce will pressure on them, so I think we'll get a, a chance to see that, and we'll get a better chance to see how Iowa I think rebounds from that Arizona game. I think, as we talked about earlier, it was a nice step against Ball State, a very weak Ball State team. Now, this is a pretty pretty solid Penn State team, not a great Penn State team, but we'll get a better chance to see maybe where Iowa stands getting almost midway through the season at this point. How can how well they can run the ball with this offensive line against a pretty good Big Ten opponent. How possibly they're going to use the backup running backs right now. We still don't really know what kind of rhythm they're going to get in with in that regard. We're not sure if Coker or Rogers in a game that's really in doubt and what have you, if they're gonna, if the coaches are gonna have faith in them, and just con Stanzi's continued development, I think that's one of the big things too. I mean, is he gonna keep playing the way he is against Big Ten opponents that are? I mean, from now, from this point on, these opponents are really familiar with Iowa and their system, or what have you, and they know what Stanzi does. So, I think how is he gonna? Is he gonna continue playing at the level he is without the breakdowns? I mean, I think that's key. Uh, what are your two or three players on each team that fans should focus on? Well, for um, Penn State, obviously Robert Bolden and Evan Royster. And then for Iowa, I mean, I think you always got to say Stanzi. And then let's say defensively, um, 
I'm going to say Jeff Tarpinion, the middle linebacker. I think he's going to have to have a pretty big game. Penn State's going to want to pound that ball between the tackles, and I think the Iowa linebackers are going to be tested. And I think Jeremiah Hunter, we know he's been a three-year starter. He's pretty consistent. But to me, Tarp's the one. If Tarp can come out and have a big game at middle linebacker, that's going to really bode well for Iowa. Oh, I think Bolden without coach. I mean, I... I, I... You know, heard Kirk Ferentz say this, and then Steve Jones, the play-by-play guy for Penn State, said this on Kirk's show last night. They've said that Bolden will not be shocked or in awe of the environment tomorrow night, uh, or not tomorrow night, Saturday night, uh, because he's been in Tuscaloosa and he's played against Alabama. Well, that environment's not going to be any more crazy than what he's going to see at Kinnick Stadium for homecoming a night game on national TV. It'll be just as much pressure there. He threw two picks and had two fumbles against Alabama. A lot of pressure on this kid. It'll be interesting. If he can come out of this and play well, that says a lot about his future. I think he's going to have a tough night, though. Uh, And then I would say on on the defensive side for Iowa, we talked about him earlier, Adrian Claiborne. I sensed last week that he was just starting. He started slow last year. I started the sense last week that he was getting off a little bit, and I think the other players will free him up a little bit more. Uh, he had a heck of a game against Penn State last year. I think he's going to have a big game on Saturday. I think both and Claiborne are two guys to look at. And then, you know, if it is a close game, I'm still concerned about Iowa's kicking. Um, you know, it still seems unsettled. Kirk said on uh, his show Wednesday, his radio show, that Daniel Murray's 100% and he's back in the mix this week. I think we'll probably still see Michael Meyer uh, do the place kicking and the extra points and field goals. But if it's a close game, that's still something that worries me. And I, and, and I hope, if for Iowa's sake, they can figure that out before it bites them in the, bites them in the rear end. Because it's, it's one of those things that could happen. Prediction, final score? I'm going to go uh, 24 to 9 Iowa. I just, I, again, I don't see Penn State's offense being much of a threat in this game. The one area where I think they could uh, cause some issues, and, and maybe I should have mentioned this earlier, uh, Penn State's very good. Chaz Powell, I think, ranks eighth in kickoff returns uh, in the country. He's averaging about 30 yards of kickoff returns. So we'll also see if Iowa's figured out that problem that's, that plagued them the first three weeks of the season. Um, and that really, I think, will be Penn State's offense. If they can get some, some returns on, on special teams and set their offense and bowl them up in good position, that would be the way. Because I don't think they're going to go the length of the field and put together 80-yard drives against the Iowa defense. Got Iowa winning like 23-17, something like that. I think it's going to be a close game, but I just see, I, I can't see a true freshman winning this game. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, never, ever, ever, ever leave each other. HawkeyesMike.com. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time www.hawkeyesmike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. And check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. 
Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs on Hawk Central, Hawkeye Insider, and in the Daily Iowan. You're not really wearing that, are you? Wearing what? The man purse. It's where I keep all my things. I get a lot of compliments on this. Plus, it's not a man purse. It's called a satchel. Indiana Jones wears one. So does Joy Behar. Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa hosts Penn State this Saturday night in the first-ever Black and Gold Spirit game. This is only the third time in the 12 seasons Kirk Ferentz has coached at Iowa that the Hawks get to open at home. Iowa is ranked 17th in the AP poll and 18th in the coaches poll, while Penn State is 22nd by the AP and 20th by the coaches. Both teams are 3-1 heading into this contest. Iowa, of course, lost at Arizona, and Penn State lost at number 1 ranked Alabama. This is the 23rd game in the series, which is tied at 11 apiece. However, the Hawks have won seven of the last eight, and Iowa is 4-7 and seven in games played in Iowa City, and six of the last ten games have been decided by a touchdown or less. The Nittany Lions are coming off a tough home game against Temple. They start a true freshman at quarterback in Rob Bolden. They have one of the better Big Ten running backs and fifth-year senior Evan Royster, who finally got on track against the Owls and is only 185 yards away from becoming their all-time leading rusher. But they have a fairly young and inexperienced experienced offensive line. Iowa will come at them with its experienced and aggressive defense and overall outstanding play by the D-line. Bolden's performance under that pressure, along with the hostile environment at Kinnick Stadium, will be key for the visitors. As always, Penn State has a solid defense, especially their defensive line. They're very good at bringing pressure from the edges, something that caused the Hawks major trouble against Arizona. Their linebackers are young overall, but very solid, as always seems to be the case at linebacker U. The Nittany Lions have very good special teams, including kick return specialists Chaz Powell and Devin Smith, along with perhaps the best place kicker in the Big Ten, Colin Wagner, who is 10 of 12 in field goals this season, including 5 of 6 from 40 yards and out. Penn State fans and players, and especially their upperclassmen, have been very focused on this game for quite a while now, and they've been extremely frustrated with how recent history has played out in this series. Revenge can be a significant motivating factor, but it can also backfire as it did last year in Beaver Stadium. The Hawks put up great offensive numbers against Ball State, but now it's really down to business in a game in which the loser will likely be eliminated from Big Ten title contention. Iowa struggled at Arizona. This will be a legitimate test to see just how far the offensive line has progressed. The Hawks will have to have a solid running game relying heavily on Adam Robinson, balanced with their strong passing game led by Ricky Stanzi, who needs to continue his excellent play so far this season. And they can't give up long kick returns. 
Special teams play has been critical for both teams in recent years. Turnovers have been game changers. If the game is close, place kicking could be the difference, and we don't really know yet how good Iowa can be in that regard, or even who will be handling field goals in crunch time. This will probably be a typical Big Ten game between two upper echelon teams. Iowa's favored by seven and has a more veteran team overall. If the Hawks are to contend for the conference title, they need to take care of business in this one before heading into their bye week and then traveling to Michigan for their first Big Ten road test. <laughs> my kind of team, Charlie, is my kind of team. Dirk Ferens gets the victory. In his 12th season, his 84th win here at the University of Iowa. Final score, Iowa, 45, Ball State, nothing. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week. Once again, another nice job of capturing the excitement of Iowa football in 2010. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, and Sean Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike, LLC.